Welcome to the Sales Tips for Pros podcast, brought to you by the Canadian Professional Sales Association. In this CPSA podcast, we chat with Jonathan Farrington. Jonathan is a globally recognized business coach, mentor, author, keynote speaker, and consultant who has guided hundreds of companies and thousands of individuals around the world towards optimum performance levels. He is also the creator and CEO of Top Sales World and editor of Top Sales Magazine. For sales professionals, team leaders, and organizations across the country, the Canadian Professional Sales Association is your partner in building knowledge and skills to improve sales performance. The CPSA is the advocate for excellence in sales. We invest resources in programming, curriculum development, and professional designations to help individuals and companies become more successful through effective sales. We connect employers and employees, business with academia, and the private sector with government to advance the sales profession and improve Canadian competitiveness. Learn more at cpsa.com. And remember to subscribe to the CPSA podcast through iTunes, Google Play, and more. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. An absolute pleasure to be here with you. Firstly, Jonathan, please uh, tell us a bit more about yourself beyond that wee introduction that I've offered there, uh, about your career background prior to setting up Top, World, Top Sales World and Top Sales Magazine. <laughs> okay, well, I'll be as succinct as possible, because when you get old, of course, you've got a very long background. Um, but after I left university, my father was a farmer, and he was most intent that I was going to follow him into farming. But eventually, I managed to convince him that that is not the route that I was going to take. And uh, so we eventually, we agreed that I would aim to become a chartered surveyor, because that was a very professional sort of career for a young man in those days. But after three months working in a real estate office and, and uh, carrying out my surveying skills and uh, duties and uh, aiming for qualifications, I realized that the guys that were in residential sales were having much more fun, um, attracting much better looking girls and driving much nicer cars. So it struck me that was the way to go. But of course, I knew my father would be horrified. So I, I, I actually arranged a transfer into residential sales department for three months. And he was totally unaware just to see whether or not I could crack it. Um, and I absolutely loved it. <clears throat> and uh, I, I discovered, um, amazingly, that I was good at it. So after three months, I went home and presented him with my bonus check. And he said, OK, uh, if that's what you really, really want to do. Um, and sort of, you know, would selling exclamation mark. And I said, yes, it is. So I, I worked with that same company for another six months. And then an opportunity came up to buy into a partnership with one of that real estate office's uh, competitors. And so I went and had a meeting with them, um, asked them how much they wanted, um, you know, what investment they needed. I took my father down, who was a superb businessman, and he ended up buying the company for me uh, on the understanding I would repay him within three years. Well, the market was very buoyant in those days. And in fact, within three years, I'd opened another five offices. And uh, I'd, I'd repaid him within nine months. Um, and then the big insurance companies took a huge interest in real estate. And we were made an offer that I just possibly couldn't have refused. So that's really how I sort of got into sales. And then I made several investments. I got into IT in the early 80s, once Compaq and IBM uh, came into you know, with their desktop um, uh, offerings and then continued my career in sales up to CEO level. And then I spent another 10 years in corporate life, came out at the beginning of 1990, and having decided I'd like to um, 
I really wanted to start my own consultancy, uh, which I did. And uh, I wrote my own material. And um, within six months, I called in lots of markers from good friends and picked up some very, very large corporate contracts. And that was going to be a 10-year plan, but in fact, it went for 12 years. And then I sold. I got an amazing offer from the Middle East, and I sold. And I was looking around, and I thought, what am I going to do? I really want to get online. So I started writing articles for about six months, and then I reached out. And this really was the beginning of Top Sales World. Uh, I reached out to 10 people whose work I respected, people like Jill Conrad, Linda Richardson, Dave Curlin, a whole host of wonderful people, thinking probably that they'd never heard of me and they wouldn't respond back because my, my note was a very simple one. Look, um, what I'd like to do is to get a small group of people, collaborate, share ideas and launch a website. And they all came back, all 10 of them within 24 hours. And uh, that was the beginning. We started by calling ourselves Top Sales Experts because I, it was the only URL I could find that I thought was suitable. Uh, within three months, we got another 80 or 90 people that had sent me notes saying, can we join you? I said, yes. And at that point, of course, we had an open door policy. And, um, and then we launched Top Sales Articles, Top Sales Awards, Top Sales Management. And then one sunny day in 2006, I said, well, sunny morning, well, this is ridiculous. I mean, we're diluting our efforts. Let's bring it all under one big roof and call it Top Sales World. And everybody thought that was a fantastic idea. So here we are. And um, we'll be 12 years old in October. And of course, Top Sales Magazine is seven years old. Um, we've now got north of 400,000 subscribers. We've got some fabulous partners. Um, we don't call them sponsors because I've got a very jaundiced view of sponsorship, I'm afraid. So partners um, of, of all sizes um, who we work with respect greatly. And that's really a, a very potted history. Thank you very much. So here you are then, 12 years later, you've got this, uh, you've got this awesome community. You've got a fantastic magazine of over 400,000 people who, who are on your circulation. You, you have, I, I think I, I heard somewhere in one of your, your interviews that you have about 60 regular contributors on, a, on an annual basis, top, top contributors like, for example, Jill Conrath, you mentioned a moment ago. Um, so I, I almost, I'm almost hesitant to ask the next question, but tell me, <laughs> I'm going to ask you anyway, um, what, what gap do you think Top Sales World and Top Sales Magazine fills in the, in the sales landscape? Only one in two frontline sales professionals today are making their numbers. And that for me means, I mean, there are various and, and, and there are numerous reasons why, why we're watching and witnessing this awful decline in achievement levels. But there are so many frontline sales professionals out there that are not receiving the quality um, training, development, coaching, mentoring, mentoring, counseling that they need. And our primary objective from day one with Top Sales World is to provide a, a location where those professionals can come and their managers and their managers' managers and receive the advice that they need, which is refreshed daily, all for free. So in other words, there is nothing on Top Sales World. You cannot buy anything on Top Sales World. And we don't call Top Sales World a business. I have to, I have to sort of highlight that fact. It's a project. And, you know, it's a project that we continue to improve almost on a daily basis. So for me, we are providing a service to any salesperson 
and and as I said, their their managers and their managers' managers, because you know something like thirty four percent of our subscribers are actually in the sea lounge, and sixty two percent of VP upwards. So I, I I passionately believe that we're providing the quality of material and resource that is being asked of us, um, and that's it. Thank you very much for that, Jonathan. Now, um, what? I'd love to get your insights from such a huge circulation in terms of what's hot, really. What are some of the hottest sales-related topics that your readers care about at the moment in 2018, and why? Well, I guess the three hot topics uh, currently uh, have got nothing to do with lead generation, prospect attraction. Let me make that very clear. Sales enablement obviously has gained momentum Sales enablement is an all-encompassing statement, and I would suggest to you that probably 80% of sales professionals and their managers actually don't really understand what sales enablement is. Um, But it's gaining momentum, and uh, of course, the arrival of the Sales Enablement Society has kind of formalized um, and, and begun to understand precisely what that means. I would also say that customer experience, thank goodness, after evangelizing for almost 30 years, the need to stop treating customers and clients like disposable tissues um, is finally, finally gaining ground and people are, are, are sitting up and, and, and realizing that, you know, we've got to stop being commercially promiscuous. We really do have to build brick walls around the clients and customers that we already have. Because in a typical commercial organization, 80% of that company's business will come from existing clients and only 20% from new business. But those people that are now jumping on the customer experience bandwagon have to realize that you cannot hope to implement a successful customer experience strategy unless you've got EX. In other words, you've got an in-depth well thought out employee experience strategy because who is going to deliver the customer experience it's the employees who is going to deliver increased sales the employees nothing happens without people and to think that you know um spending millions on new technology can ever replace employee excellence then uh, they are very, very sadly wrong. So um, for me, those are the three hot topics at the moment. Would you agree, however, Jonathan, if I boldly uh, put to you that um, actually uh, some duties, some roles, maybe more junior level sales positions uh, can and will and perhaps already have been replaced. But um, it's maybe at the mid-level and senior level where there'll always be a need for people. When you say replace, replace by what or who, Bill? So, for example, um, uh, my, my, my organisation gets an inbound inquiry. Uh, one of my clever chatbots uh, gets back to them within uh, a minute. 
you know, so getting on there straight away in, in that in that uh, very important window of of opportunity, um, and helps qualify that by by offering automated questions um, before it ever gets to the point of actually going to a real person having real dialogue. Well, yes, I mean, this is a subject on its own. If we start sort of considering AI, I mean, I think when we look back, we know that sales 2.0 gave us improved technology and sales 3 has taken that on. And it did accelerate the rate at which more and more sales teams went inside. Okay, and then logically, the next stage is how can... So, so if you think, let, let, me, let me share it with you like this. Okay, so smart business owners realized how much it was costing them to have an external sales team on the road, okay, with company cars, expense accounts, managing two, maybe maximum three meetings a day. So whilst lots of people said to us, well, bringing sales teams inside has only been made possible by the fact that we've got improved technology. That's only part of the the, the story. At the end of the day, it's also down to economics because we understand that it costs much less to have an inside sales team as it does an external sales team, right? It it costs at least 50% less. So I have said, in fact, I said 10 years ago, surely what's going to happen next is that those same smart business owners that took their sales teams inside are going to wake up one morning and go, well, hang on a minute. Do I actually need inside salespeople? Could I get away with order takers? And then, yeah, you've guessed it. Logically, the next stage will be, hmm, well, actually, do I even need order takers? And we're seeing this. We've been seeing this for the last five years. Um, you know, so many companies have disposed of their inside sales teams and, and, and they've, they've given the, their clients and their prospects the opportunity to order everything online. And this is what's happening. And it's not a new phenomenon. Well, let's investigate that a wee bit more. It's almost like you're a mind reader. It's almost like you've got the questions in front of you. Um, because on, on your site, in your intro to the JF series of podcast interviews, you write, we have witnessed more advances in the past five years than in the previous 50. And we have no reason to suspect that the current rate of change will lose any of its momentum. Please, therefore, can you share insights into how sales have changed as a profession in the past five years and, and, and why it matters. Yes, I can. And, and to, to sort of put it, um, to put it bluntly, uh, Bill, buyers have taken back control of the buying cycle. Uh, they're smarter. Uh, they've got more information at their, their fingertips. Um, they, as a consequence, they're letting buyers, uh, sellers come in into the um, into the process much, much later uh, than was the case five years ago, even five years ago. I mean, and certainly seven, eight years ago, but, uh, sellers was, or thought they were still in charge. And uh, because, of course, that has changed. And I think there's, I have two thoughts about that. I think, you know, as machines, and, and you alluded to this with your last question, but as machines get smarter, they will, of course, do more of the work. I mean, but will they be personal assistants, provide sales coaching, figure out pricing, set the sales strategy and so on? So, I mean, how far are we looking out here? Maybe five years maximum. So what we have to think about is how does a sales organization um, survive? And personally, I I actually see two areas um, that, that, well, certainly two avenues that are vital. I think the first is expertise and the second is relationship. I think expertise is precisely 
what customers are looking for today. And, 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 and in fact, you know, I, I, I fervently believe the bar has been raised for sales organizations in how they can select and develop their, their people. And I think customers only want to spend time with salespeople who they believe will bring them relevant expertise and who will help them solve their business problems. And, and, and if I may uh, quote from um, a recent uh, piece of research from CSO Insights, um, what they were looking at is how relevant salespeople are for buyers when they have a business problem to solve or need ideas and inspiration for how to best approach the challenge. And I'm quoting now. So altogether, there were, there were, there were 10 statements here. So what do buyers prefer? Uh, and what do they prefer to use to solve business problems? At the top came subject matter experts from industry or third parties, 43%. Past experience with vendor, 35.8%. Vendor websites, 35.4%. I mean, I could go on. We've got industry events, trade shows, conferences, peers, colleagues. Incredibly, okay? Buyer preferences to use to solve business problems Vendor salespeople came down at ninth at 23%. I mean, so only 23% of, of this study from CSO Insights, uh, the participants selected salespeople as a top three resource to solve business problems. And we really have to understand what that means. Does it mean that we're moving to a point in the future where salespeople are going to become at a certain level obsolete. And I think it's possible. And I think it's worth remembering, Bill, that this is still the case today. If you look at the total um, sales space, you can divide frontline sales professionals into three levels. At level one, that constitutes 80%. These people are basically selling commodities. They're, they're operating in me too territory. Okay. And then above them, level two salespeople, and there are actually 14% of them. And they've changed their titles to sales consultants. They do bring value and they have ambitions uh, to make it to level three. Um, but they're in their sort of me first territory. And then finally above those, we've got the top 6%. Okay, now these are the top 6% achievers, performers in the sales space. And they are operating in me only territory. Those people will survive. And I, I truly expect level two to survive. It's level three that are in most danger if they don't embrace AI of becoming extinct. Okay, thank you very much. Now, I, I feel like we've maybe kind of danced around uh, some of the, the definitions and uh, the intricacies of, of, uh, of this notion that I'm about to bring up with you now. Um, but I, I want to kind of clarify it for our listeners. In a, in a January 2018 uh, SLMA radio interview, you discussed the notion of sales 3.0. Can you, can you clarify what this yeah. means? And, and, and also, what, what are some of the soft skills? We'll talk about hard skills again in a moment, but some of the soft skills needed for tomorrow's top sales pros. Okay, well, let's take the sales 3.0. I mean, sales 3.0 is a natural involvement from sales 2.0. Um, and I mean, what it's worth remembering that the previous 20 years, we watched sales evolve, but we didn't necessarily have to give it a new title. Um, but of course, that doesn't generate revenue for those that, that 
want to run conferences and write books and form companies even. So sales 3.0 is the natural uh, success of sales 2.0. And for me, it just meant a greater focus on the customer. So instead of being, you know, buyer, um, seller centric, it meant becoming more uh, customer centric. And of course, um, technology continues to move forward um, uh, as you'd expect too. Um, and it's just a nat natural involvement. Within the next 12 months, no doubt we'll, sell, we'll see sales for Dotto. Um, but in terms of soft skills, give me an example of what you call a, a soft skill, Bill, please. <coughs> Excuse me. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's interesting you asked that question. Uh, listeners, obviously, we, we schedule these, uh, the release of these podcast interviews on, on this YouTube but uh, I actually recorded another interview just before this one with another sales expert and she asked me the same question. Um, so to give you to give you an example, I would say a soft, a soft skill would be the ability to build rapport over the phone or the ability to connect with people and encourage trust uh, in, in a face-to-face -face presentational meeting situation. Yeah, um, it, that, that's quite interesting. I think there's always going to be a place for soft skills, but you see, uh, the, the skills that some people would argue that the skills required for internal salespeople are different from those to external salespeople. I mean, certainly it's much easier to build rapport. It's much easier to gain respect. I'm not sure about trust. Trust doesn't happen that quickly. Trust takes time to build um, if you're face to face. But clearly, you know, economics are going to play a part. And and, you know, I believe that face to face selling is going to be reserved for the very, very top end of deals, uh, opportunities um, where it's necessary uh, to to have a face-to-face -face, rather than, you know, in the old days, not that long ago. I mean, I, I refer to it the old days, but five, six, seven years ago, would it wouldn't be, um, um, it, it wasn't unnatural for uh, a selling team, um, you know, loaded with four, five, six people to get on an airplane to go and have one meeting, even an exploratory meeting. And then do exactly the same thing two or three weeks later to take to take the, the opportunity to the next stage. Well, of course, so much of that can now be handled online. Technology allows to do that. So I think organizations, selling organizations need to be very discerning, um, certainly if they're going to keep the um, gray men in finance happy. That's really, really important. So, yeah, of course, soft skills, um, what, what we call, the, you know, the personal touch, um, communication, presentation, uh, all of that good stuff. Um, is, is still very, very important. And I don't, I, I don't ever see a day when it won't be important. I mean, I, I, I do worry that uh, youngsters today that are coming through that are used to spending so much time on their, you know, on their laptops and on their iPhones and on their PCs, um, you know, aren't having the level of communication face-to-face -face that, that we used to, uh, you know, when, when I was younger uh, or even 10 years ago. Uh, there, there's, and, and because of that, you know, because because so many people are having um, relationships with their hardware, are they going to lose that ability to communicate personally? I, and that is a big concern for me. Not when I'm around, Jonathan. Oh, my goodness. My, my nephew came to stay with me the other day. I'm, I'm currently back home visiting family listeners. And uh, he was on his phone and he wouldn't get off it. And I said, right, I'm taking it off you. And we went outside and we uh, we played soccer and rugby and we actually did real, real things. So that, that hopefully there's still hope <laughs> for uh, 
situations well, like that. Okay, let's... Um... <laughs> Sorry, please continue. No, I was going to say, Bill, I mean, that's wonderful, but you and I both know there are people sitting next to each other in the same office that rather than swiveling their chair around and having an eye-to-eye -eye conversation, they're actually sending each other emails. Yeah, yeah, that happens all the time. And uh, there's a whole different interview that you and I can do, I think, <laughs> on, uh, yeah. on bugbears. Let's recap, though, on the, on the hard skills, if, 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 if you don't mind. Uh, for those listening and taking notes at the moment, um, what, what are your top two or three predictions for how uh, AI fuel technology will continue to, to change how we sell in the, in the next five or perhaps 10 years? Oh, well, it's, it's, it, it's with us. It's, it's advanced so rapidly. And so many people in the sales space in particular are very fearful of AI. I, I, but it's not just the sales space, is it? I mean, it's, it's life in general. I mean, when was the last time you drove up at a gas station and, and you know, there was a guy or, or there was a lady serving gas? It just doesn't happen. I mean, the... Um, Supermarket checkouts are now becoming automated. I mean, when, when was the last time an insurance agent knocked on the door and called at your house to try and understand what your pension needs were or your critical health? You know, when was the last time you went to the bank and had a personal meeting with the bank manager to discuss your overdraft requirements? Doesn't happen anymore. And it's just the way it's going. But this is what I do believe. There is an opportunity to embrace AI and for, for AI to take away lots of the mundane work that frontline sales professionals do. Because at the moment, the latest figure I saw is that the average uh, salesperson spends less than 16% of their time selling, uh, which is extraordinary, really, if you think about it. Um, so it's taking away all those administration tasks. It's probably taking away... Uh, quite a lot or will take away quite a lot of the fact finding exercises. Um, so, you know, yeah, I, again, I've said this three or four times, Bill, um, we've got to embrace AI. I, you know, um, the hero in Death of a Salesman, uh, Miller's classic, didn't become a bad salesman overnight. He just refused to change. And and those people that dig their their heels in and refuse to change and refuse to embrace change will get left behind very, very quickly. Jonathan, we are coming towards the end of this interview already. I know you can't believe it. We've just got a couple more questions. Um, now, as you know, this is a podcast for the Canadian Professional Sales Association. And, and, uh, and although you and I have uh, uh, British accents, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm proud to say that I'm actually a Canadian. Um, um, I, I think there's, there's, uh, there, there's, uh, there's discussion to be had here about um, how how – how the UK and the US compares to Canada in terms of um, education in sales, and it's particularly academic uh, options and qualifications for salespeople. Do, do you adhere to the idea that sales should be taught in universities? So listeners, you may remember another show that I did with the wonderful Canadian, uh, Karen Piska, who uh, taught and, and learned her trade at, at Cranfield University in an academic sense. Um, or... Or, or is, is sales a career, actually, that's better taught through experience? I think, it's, uh, I think it needs to be a combination, Bill. Um, <clears throat> of course, in, in the US, uh, there are some wonderful um, 
universities that are running uh, programs um, and courses, uh, and some of them by very, very good friends of mine. I think you know one of the things that Top Sales World has done, uh, it's built a bridge with academia, um, and you know we've got several contributors that are working at at that level. Uh, but equally, you know, I, I do accept the argument that is there any is there any um, substitute for experience? No, um, everything that I think and do and and pontificate about is based on my own experiences. But equally, it's so wonderful to learn from the experiences uh, of of others, which is why I think you know the top sales world contributing team gel so well uh, because they collaborate so well and you know. Uh, the reality is we never stop learning. The day we think we know it all, you may as well pack up and go home, frankly. It's just life is just not like that. And certainly selling's not like that. So uh, in summary, Bill, I'd, I'd say I think it needs to be a combination of formal sales and marketing education and then straight into, you know, getting into the field and, and, and learning the hard way because uh, there is no university course that can prepare you for the really really bad down days when you've lost a very large order or maybe even two orders there's nothing that prepares you for that um and it's that type of experience that cannot be replicated um you know in a in a in a, in a uh, classroom and just finally today a bit of a toughie for you to finish on um how can how can listeners learn more about you and how can they learn more about the top sales world community Oh, well, look, it's very simple. I, I, let's start with Top Sales World. That's far more important than me. Um, just getting over to Top Sales World and discovering all of those resources that are refreshed daily and, and enjoying, you know, the, the, the weekly newsletter, the monthly magazine, Top Sales magazine. We run academies and we run roundtables and we're always doing something um, and adding new initiatives. And it's all absolutely free. Um, and I, I just just think it's there for anyone that's, you know, in, in a sales position should be enjoying it. Um, as far as I'm concerned, they're currently rebuilding my personal site because I always tend to put top first world before me uh, because so many people rely on us. Uh, but they will be, they are rebuilding that. So that will be open soon at www.jonathanfarrington.com. And other than that, well, I'm over on LinkedIn. And so if anyone would like to um, connect with me, um, I'd be delighted. Well, if I haven't already sent you a connection request, I'll be doing so straight after this call. Um, that just leaves me to say today, Jonathan Farrington, thank you very much for being a guest on the CPSA podcast. Absolute pleasure, Bill. Uh, listeners, as always, until next time, happy selling. Thank you for listening to the Sales Tips for Pros show. Learn more about the training and benefits from the Canadian Professional Sales Association at cpsa.com.